Amen. Thank you, Daniel. If you didn't already turn there, let's open our Bibles. Let's look at God's Word together as a church. If you don't have your own Bible, you may grab the black card Bible near you. Uh, I did some homework this week and found out what page Romans is on. Page 885. I, I was not prepared for that last week. 885 in the hard Bibles. Uh, and as you're turning there, um, let me just say regarding our prayer for the nations that Cassidy uh, led us in to be mindful of Global Hunger Relief Day in our churches, our regular giving, your regular giving to our church uh, and our church's stewardship of your gifts, giving to other organizations, gives to those efforts. Uh, and so I want you to know you're, you're a part of what God is doing around the world in that uh, global, global hunger relief. Uh, that's a, that's you know, an encouragement to you to continue to give. That's encouragement to us as a church that we're involved in worthwhile um, uh, ministries around the world. And so just wanted to make sure you were aware of that. Uh, that is... Uh, one of the reasons and the most important reason why we uh, are Baptists, uh, cooperating together to make the gospel known around the world uh, and meeting people's physical needs. Um, I, I feel like we need to wake up a little bit because, uh, like, f I mean, I'm going on four hours after last night's game and just, you know, I stayed up, did all my early morning work last night uh, and still couldn't, and still woke up early, ready to go out of habit and all this. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to go. You should be ready to go as well because we've had four weeks of just bad, awful news in Romans, one through three, but we've got a but now in 321. Like, this, we should be excited about what is coming. We should be uh, even more, maybe we're intentionally singing songs, more songs before the sermon, getting more, Graham more time to lead us in, we, this, this should have been the week, that we should have just pushed all the songs to the end so that you would have had the but now, and then you could have sing, sung. But we'll get to sing in a little bit, we'll get to worship through the Lord's Supper, another special aspect of our worship together as a church, but this is, this is good news. But I want you to ask yourself the question that you uh, will see uh, on, on the screen before you, the title this week, Are You Right With God? Are you right with God? E each of you, adult and child alike, you need to ask yourself that question. Are you right with God? And if we were honest for uh, a second, we would be able to plunge the depths of our heart and to consider and maybe try to answer that question and, and maybe say, why do you think you're right with God? I don't know about you, but that type of question is, is one that I like to use to talk with people that I maybe haven't met before or want to see where are they at uh, in their, uh, their journey of life? Where are they at considering faith? Uh, are you right with God? And there's a host of different answers. You know, I have, I've heard, yeah, yeah me, me and God, we're cool. We're straight. We, me and God, God and I, we had a conversation earlier in life and we got our things settled and we're, we're good to go. You know, me and God, we're, We've got an agreement. Really? you got, got an agreement. I mean, I, did, I don't have an agreement with God. Like, what are we basing our rightness with God on? What's your answer to that question? Am, are you right with God, yes or no? If yes, what's your answer? Why? Why are you right with God? Because you're here this morning? Because you went to church as a kid? Because you know that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead? Because you have been dunked under some water or flicked, uh, sprinkled with water? Or because your name is 
on our church's membership? Uh, why, why are you right with God? Your answer to that question um, shows whether or not you really are right with God. And there's really only one way to be right with God, and it's through Jesus Christ. And up to this point, what Paul has really been trying to do is, is prove that nobody's right with God alone. Uh, chapter 1 through 3 up to verse 21, he, he's tried to prove that the Gentiles that sin and celebrate sin have no excuse before God. They're not right with God. The Gentiles that sin secretly and are hypocrites, they're not right with God either. They may think they are and say that they are, but they're not. They're not right with God. They have no excuse, he says, when they're to stand before God. The Jews who had the law, they had the Ten Commandments, they had the Old Testament law, and they had the sign of faith in circumcision. Paul says, you're not right with God either because you don't actually obey the law that you have, and you're doing the sign out of routine, not out of faith. You're not right with God either to the Jews. And then he just says, nobody is right with God on their own. And he uses almost 10 different Old Testament quotes to prove that. And so up to this point, no one is right with God. No, not one. And so the only way, the only way that one can be made right with God, Paul is going to show us in, in our short passage this morning, is through Jesus Christ. I don't know if you noticed, but when Daniel read our passage this morning, uh, the, the main idea, the main theme, the main focus of this passage is the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. We know this passage probably because of Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A good summation of what Paul has uh, explained up to this point. Yes, but what's repeated in verse after verse after verse is the righteousness of God. And this isn't the first time that the righteousness of God has been brought up yet. Uh, you got your Bibles open, I, I trust. So you flip back a page, back to Romans chapter 1, and we look at verse 17. For in it, that is, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God, or the righteousness from God, is revealed from faith for faith. Paul's introduced the righteousness of God just before all the bad news. He gave us all the bad news, and then he brings back up the righteousness of God. What do you think is on Paul's mind as he's writing this letter? It's the righteousness of God. And, and as we said several weeks back when looking at 117, it could be translated the righteousness from God. So we're talking about the righteousness of God uh, holistically. God is righteous. He's holy and pure. And, and His actions show His righteousness, reveal His righteousness. But at the same time, there is a righteousness that comes from God to unrighteous sinners by grace, through faith, because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection from the grave. This is, this is the righteousness that Paul is, is focusing on here. And he, and he says in verse 21, but now... Now, the word now is emphatic in the Greek because he didn't have to put it there. It's an extra word. You can read the sentence without now. But the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. But he inserts this word now to say right here, right now, the righteousness of God has 
is being, has already been revealed because Christ has already come. Christ has already died. Christ has already been buried. Christ has already been raised from the dead right now. And if that was true then, then it's also true now for us as well. And we need to remember that, that the righteousness of God, all of these things that we're going to see, all of these aspects of the righteousness that comes from God uh, are true for them then, but they're also true for, for us now. And so let's look at them. Let's walk through this passage. I'm not trying to be clever here this morning. Every word that you see on the screen is right from your passage. There's no fancy way to get around this. It's just a short, succinct gospel nugget. Okay? It, I mean, it is the truth uh, condensed for us in this one passage. And then when you get to verse 27, we're going to start seeing those questions that Paul is, is bringing up from the Jewish perspective specifically. And we'll answer some of those next week. But let's look at these, this short paragraph, uh, this short section of, of Scripture. And if you're taking notes... I want you to note this, that the righteousness from God is revealed, firstly, apart from the law. This righteousness of God and this righteousness that comes from God is revealed apart from the law. That same law that back in Romans chapter 2 the Jews were bragging about being the possessors of. We have this law. We know this law. We've memorized this law. But Paul said, but you don't believe it. You don't obey it. You may speak it, but you don't believe it or live it. And God, uh, Paul is saying that the righteousness of God is manifested, is uh, made known to us. It is revealed to us apart from the law. What, what he's saying is that there is no way any human individual, any part of mankind, that they could earn their righteousness before God according to the law. The law was given as, as not only the standard of God's holiness and the way in which we would honor and glorify Him. And if one could perfectly obey the law, then they could obtain a righteousness on their own. But hundreds and thousands of years have gone by, as Paul has said, and no one has been able to do it. No one has been according to the law, able to live a righteous life. No one is right with God because they have such a long list of good works. No one. No, not one, Paul says. And yet, he, he says, nobody's been able to have this righteousness of their own according to the law. This righteousness from God has come apart from the law. It's outside of the law. But he goes on and says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. You can't earn your righteousness according to the law, but he's saying that very law is pointing to, bearing witness to, the righteousness of God, who is Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It, it comes apart from the law. This is, this is why the life of Christ is so important. We often highlight, and we will in just a moment, the death of Christ. The shed blood of Christ. And we ought to highlight that with the cross before us. Remembering His his death and his resurrection. But his life is just as important. For had he not lived the righteous life, then his death on the cross would mean nothing. It would mean nothing. 
Christ himself was the only one who was able to live perfectly in accordance with the law. And not only live in accordance with the law, but he fulfilled everything that the law and the prophets said that he would. Jesus is the only one who has fulfilled that law. And so we don't look to the law. We don't even look to, we don't look to the Old Testament. We don't even look to our own version of the law. Our 21st century version of the law of being a good person to be able to earn our righteousness. You are not right with God because you have fulfilled certain duties or not done certain things. There is no righteousness according to your works. The righteousness of God is revealed first apart from the law. This is why Paul says in Galatians 3.11, Now it is evident. You imagine evidence in a court scene. Paul said, Paul's saying it's, it's beyond a shadow of doubt. The evidence is clear. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. No one. For the righteous shall live by faith. Paul makes it clear in Romans. He makes it clear in Galatians. He makes it clear everywhere that no one. He even goes so far as to say, if anyone was going to be declared righteous or earn a righteousness from God or be right with God according to their works, it's me, Paul would say. I've obeyed more than anyone. And yet he says, but not even I, you know, could accomplish that. Not only apart from the law, but secondly, we see him say that the righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes from God, is revealed through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22, the righteousness of God. Again, just Consider how many times he's bringing up that phrase. The righteousness of God or the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It doesn't come through our own works. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ who alone was able to obey the law perfectly who alone fulfilled the promises of the law and the prophets perfectly. It it comes through faith, not through works. It, It comes through Christ because it was Jesus who was born of a virgin so that he would not inherit the sinful nature of his parents, um, Joseph and Mary. He went on, even as a child, kids, did not disobey his parents once, did not live with a selfish attitude once, didn't lie one single time, didn't put his own desires before his father's desires ever in life, perfectly obeyed the laws of the Old Testament, perfectly submitted to the Holy Spirit, in everything, lived a perfect sinless life, and then at the end of his life, willingly laid down his life on the cross. The Bible says that he became our substitute, uh, that he took our place. Jesus died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself. He died, he was taken down from the cross buried in a tomb by some of his devout followers. Stone was rolled in front of the tomb for a time. And then on Sunday morning when some women went to prepare his body um, with spices and oils, they found the tomb empty. Christ Jesus had overcome Though he took your sins upon himself and took the punishment for your sins and my sins, which was death and separation from God, the wrath of God poured poured out upon him, 
He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. The tomb was empty. He appeared to many. He spent 40 days on the earth revealing himself, proclaiming the gospel, and commissioning his followers to go out and and to say the same. Righteousness from God. Being right with God does not come through works. It comes through faith in one who was and has always been right with God. Except for that moment when he wasn't because he took your sins and my sins upon himself. And yet, because he was God, came back to life and and earned that accomplish that right standing with God once more so that we could enjoy it as well. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And and, then just look at the end of that verse. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. For who? For all who believe. This isn't just something for those of us who were born in America. This isn't something for just those who deserve it. This isn't something for um, just a select few. This is available for all who repent and believe. You can be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the good news that we have after four weeks of bad news in Romans 1 through 3. After hearing that you have no excuse and that if you were to stand before God apart from Christ, Romans said, your mouth would be shut, gagged, silent, unable to speak. And yet, you can have a righteousness that comes from God It is not your own. It's not because of your works. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's available to all. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, And be found in Him. When you consider yourself standing before God, or, or when you're considering asking yourself that question, are you right with God? Know this, the only way to be right with God is to be found in Him. To be found in Christ. And the only way to be found in Christ is through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's not, he's in depth, at times he's hard to understand, but he repeats himself over and over and over to all the different churches that he writes he makes abundantly clear these, these truths. It only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It comes through Jesus Christ alone. In fact, when Luther, Martin Luther, the great reformer, was translating this verse from the Greek into the German, he inserted the word alone because he felt that that was what best captured the idea behind this verse. And that apart from that word, people wouldn't understand that, it, that a, the righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is where we get that idea that came out of the Reformation, the idea of the solas, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone alone according to the scriptures alone for the glory of God one last time alone there we go that idea was so important not only to Paul uh, but to Luther and it ought to be important to us we ought to remember that 
That we're not right with God because of ourselves. We're right with God because of Jesus Christ alone. But he goes beyond that. He goes on to explain that the righteousness of God, that is the righteousness that comes from God, is revealed thirdly in our justification by grace. Look in verse 23 and 24. Well, let me go back just, to, just to in 22 where the sentence begins. Remember, for all who believe... But then he goes on, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all have sinned, and yet all can have this righteousness of God if they believe. And in verse 24, not only have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they can be justified by His grace as a gift. They can be justified by grace as a gift. And even those two words are emphatic because they mean the same. Grace is a gift. And the greatest gift is God's grace. And so Paul is trying to make it abundantly clear it's not of our own works and our own merit, but it's a gift. We're justified by grace. Again, up to this point, in heaven's court, we would have been found guilty. That there is no excuse. Our mouths would be shut if we were to stand before God the Father, our judge, on that day. In America, we have what's called the presumption of innocence. And you've heard it probably another way that you are innocent until proven guilty, right? And so if you were um, charged with something, you are innocent until someone can take enough evidence to prove that you have uh, actually done that thing. Now, kids, that doesn't work at home all the time, okay? There may be a presumption of innocence in America, but uh, not necessarily in the home. Amen, parents? (laughs) Uh, but in the court of law, that is there. So when at the end of the um, court, the end of your time in court, the judge will look at you or the jury will declare uh, you are either guilty or not guilty. There's never a charge of innocence. You're innocent until proven guilty. You're never going to hear a judge uh, or a jury say, They're innocent uh, because you're innocent until proven guilty. Well, that's not the case in the court of heaven either. There's no presumption of innocence that when you stand before God, you're able to say, well, I tried my best. I didn't know any better, God. No, this is not going to work in the courtroom of heaven. There's no presumption of innocence. And yet, at the same time, there's something even better available to us in the courtroom of heaven. Though we are guilty, and all are guilty in the courtroom of heaven, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have the righteousness of Christ placed upon us so that when God the Father looks at us in that court scene, He doesn't say guilty, and He doesn't even say not guilty. And that would be enough, wouldn't it? To say that we're not guilty of that. He he goes another step further and says, innocent, righteous. I'm not just forgiving you for all the bad things that you've done. I've justly punished them. I've punished my son. I, I declare you righteous. There's several words in this passage that we don't use. And one of them is justification. And justification means to be declared righteous. And that's what happens in the court scene of heaven. We ought to be overflowing with thankfulness when we hear that. That when you stand before God, you're not just going to hear not guilty. You're going to hear righteous, justified, innocent, 
not because of your works, remember, not because of a, you've lived according to the law. It's apart from the law. It's because of Christ. And so what are you going to do in that day? Brag on your, pat yourself on the back, kind of hit your chest a little bit and say, no. You're going to say, praise Jesus. And you're going to have an eternity to do so. And you'll know in that moment better than we will ever know now what it feels like to truly be justified and you will have eternity worth of joy and thankfulness to, to share with Christ on that day. It's a gift of grace. And if he's given us his one and only son, the greatest gift, uh, who died and rose from the dead to take the punishment for our sins, Paul will go on later to say, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things that we need in this life and in the life to come. If God has graciously, generously, sacrificially given us His one and only Son to die on the cross, to take the punishment for our sin, to pour His wrath upon, how will He not also give you everything, Christian, that you need in this life to honor and glorify Him? Listen, we prayed for and heard about the need for food around the world. There are Christians who have fraction of what we have available to them. And yet, many of those Christian believers in those hard circumstances would still tell you they have everything they need to worship Christ to glorify Christ in this life. Everything they need for the days that have been given to them, allotted to them in God's book of life, they have everything that they need in those moments. The righteousness of God is on display and Paul is trying to highlight it and bring it to the forefront of our minds in multiple different ways and he goes Beyond that, in verse 24 as well, and says that the righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes to us from God, fourthly, comes, is revealed through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When we ask ourselves, how? How, does, how do we get this righteousness? How was this gift of grace made possible? How are we justified and declared righteous before God? How are we right, made right with God? In his commentary, John Stott, he, he asked this question that summarizes this idea well. How is it possible... For the righteous God to declare the unrighteous to be righteous without either compromising his righteousness or condoning their unrighteousness. Did you hear that? How is it possible for the righteous God to declare the unrighteous to be righteous? without either compromising his righteousness or condoning their unrighteousness. How is it possible? Jesus. There's no other way. Any other judge that overlooked sin, uh, you would say was unjust. Any other situation like this that someone overlooked sins and just said oh no big deal you would say they were unjust but not God because he sent his son Jesus Jesus redeemed us he that that's a a word where justified is a word that's used in in a court scenario redemption is a word that's used in a market scenario, a, a business scenario, to buy back 
that Christ was used to purchase us for God. Christ was the currency. His blood was the payment. His life was the cost. Jesus redeemed us. He he purchased us. That word was used uh, in our Scriptures even to talk about the righteous act in the Old Testament uh, of an owner or uh, an individual purchasing or buying a slave's freedom, something that was encouraged by God to do so, to use money to buy a slave's freedom and then to set them free. So it's right that Paul would use that word about us because the Bible and Paul refer to us as slaves to sin and death who need to be purchased and bought out of slavery to be set free in Jesus Christ. Paul picks his words and chooses them rightly, and so we are encouraged by that. That the righteousness that we can receive from God only comes through Christ laying down His life as the payment, as the redemption, as the price that is paid for us to be able to receive that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, For our sake, He, that is God, made Him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God put Jesus forward. He opened up his wallet and sent Christ forward as the payment so that we could receive the righteousness of God. It's beautiful. There's nothing else like it in all the world. But he goes on. Another layer of this righteousness is found in verse 25. The righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes from God, is revealed in propitiation by His blood. This Jesus Christ who redeemed us and was God's gracious gift, Paul says in verse 25, was put forward by God. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Again, propitiation is another one of those fancy words. And what that word means is to satisfy God's wrath. That as we have seen all the way up to this point in Romans, that God is the judge. That God's wrath rightly will be poured out on sin and sinners. And that we are deserving of His judgment. We are deserving of His wrath. But Paul is saying, inspired by God the Holy Spirit Himself, so in other words, God is saying... God the Holy Spirit is saying that God the Father put forward God the Son as the propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Remember, there is no way, according to the law, for you to satisfy the wrath of God. There is not enough good you can do to cool down the fire of God's wrath in this life or in the life to come. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that we can do collectively, even as a church, to be able to do. There's only one who was able to do something, and it was Christ. And this verse says that God put him forward. So in one sense, God was the one who satisfied his own wrath. He didn't leave it up to us because he knew it couldn't be accomplished. God satisfied his own wrath by putting his own son forward as a sacrifice. 
Jesus at the same time. Not only did God put his only son forward, but we know from Christ's very own words that he was willing to go forward to honor the Lord. In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. God put him forward with the authority to willingly lay down his life and to take it up again, and Jesus did it. Jesus alone propitiated the wrath of God on your behalf and on my behalf and on all of those behalfs of those who would repent and believe. The righteousness of God is revealed in Christ alone, in Jesus alone. There's no way to be right with God apart from Christ. But he went on in verse 25. In verse 25, he says, This was to show. What was to show? Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection. This good news, this gospel, this truth was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And think about it for a moment that there was a time during the Old Testament when the sins of all of God's children, all of those who by faith were obedient to the Lord, their, their, the wrath of God was not poured out. Their, their sin was looked over for a time. And though they sacrificed animal after animal, goat after goat, sheep after sheep, week after week, Year after year, none of those actions actually paid for their sins, propitiated for their sins, would justify them before God, would give them a righteousness in the end. They were all done by faith in a greater sacrifice, a better lamb. Uh, their sins were overlooked, passed over for a time until the perfect moment when God sent His Son into the world to die on the cross for their sins. The righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes to us from God is revealed to cover past, present, and future sins. But now, all of those sins that had been passed over had been paid for through faith. Not only the past, but all of the sins that were presently being committed as Christ died on the cross, as Paul was writing this to the Romans and they were reading it in their churches and their assemblies, all those present sins had been paid for as well. And not only the past and not only the present, but all of those in the future of those who lived during that moment in history. But not only those who were living at that time, but those who were living far into the future, including us. Before we had ever sinned, Christ died for our sins. Knowing full and well every deep and dark sin that we would commit against Him. And so this was true for them. That their former sins had been passed over but had now been paid for in Christ. But this is true for us as well. Your past, your present, and your future sins already paid for by Christ on the cross. Don't let that lead you to continue in sin so that grace may abound, let that lead you to repentance and holiness, faith and obedience in Christ. But lastly, His righteousness, the righteousness of God, the righteousness that comes to us from God is revealed 
so that God might be just and the justifier. Look at verse 26. It was to show his righteousness. Again, that his righteousness is this, this crown jewel of this uh, nugget of gospel that we have here in this passage. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, a just judge, not an unjust judge that simply overlooks sin. No, he's a just judge because he punished sin and he punished sin by sending his one and only son to propitiate his wrath, to redeem mankind by grace as a gift through faith. This was to reveal his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and, circle and, and the justifier. The justifier of who? Of the one who has faith in Jesus. The justifier. You want to be right with God? You must be justified by God through faith in Jesus Christ. Are you right with God? No? You, you can be right with God. You can know that you're right with God this morning. Not because of anything that you have done, will do today, or will do in the future, but because of what Christ has done. You, you can be right with God. Christian, you don't have to doubt your salvation. You can know beyond a shadow of a, of a doubt that you are God's children when you have repented and believed in Christ because he paid it all. He laid down his life. He shed his own blood to justify you. He's just and he's the justifier. We are right with God through Jesus alone. I heard a quote this week. And in my mind, it sounded very familiar. So I started searching the internet and, and found really the source that anybody that says anything close to this has probably read this quote or has come to an understanding um, like Corey Ten Boone did regarding Christ, where she says, You will never realize Jesus is all you need until you realize Jesus is all you have. Are you right with God? It's only through Christ. The only thing that you have on your side to be right with God when you stand in the courtroom of heaven is Christ. So believe upon him today. Trust in him today. If you have already repented and believed in Christ for your salvation, give thanks to him again today. Remember again as we will through the Lord's Supper, what He has done for us today. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for all that You have done for us in Christ. I thank You for the righteousness that is available to us in Christ. God, I praise You that You have made it abundantly clear at least to me, and I hope to everyone here this morning, that there is no righteousness before God on our own. Not according to the law. Not according to our good works. There is no way to be right with God. To be right with you on our own. But you've made a way. You've made a way for us to be declared righteous in the courtroom of heaven. You've made a way for us to be justified. You've made a way for your wrath towards us as individual sinners to be 
propitiated, satisfied. You've made a way for us to be redeemed, to be bought back into the family of God out of the slavery of sin and death through Christ. Jesus, thank you. And though you were sent, you willingly laid down your life and took it back up again. And we have only you to praise. Spirit, we thank you for making us aware of these truths, revealing the gospel to us again even this morning. And I pray, Spirit, that you would do a work that only you can in the lives of those whom you are saving even now. Reveal their sinfulness to them. Reveal the way of salvation in Christ alone to them. And Spirit, I pray that you would convict us as believers of our continued sin. Our lack of remembrance of Christ. Our doubting our salvation because we have not fully understood that it was Christ alone that we are made right with you, God. And let us remember that again as we eat bread that reminds us of the body of Christ that was crucified on the cross for us. Let us remember that truth as we drink juice that reminds us of your blood, Jesus, that propitiated the wrath of God on our behalf. We thank you. We praise you. And as we have multiple ways to worship and give thanks and remember in the close of our time together, I pray these actions will be done in faith in a meaningful way. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.